Travis, if I told you you had to come up here and talk about sex, I think your heart race, heartbeat would race a bit more. Let me tell you my own scary story to do with this. I'm actually a high school teacher. I know, that's scary to start with. I'm a casual high school teacher, which means I get called up on the morning and given a class to teach, even scarier. One particular morning in the last year, I got given my classes and I looked down, year nine PE, even scarier, I'm not a PE person, theory, I'll be okay. So I walk into the class and I'm like, okay, year nine, sit down, I know your normal teacher's not here, we're still doing work, don't worry. Turn to page 241, we're going to go on with what you did last lesson. Sit down, please, Johnny. It's always Johnny. I've got a husband who's Johnny, is here. There's a good reason why Johnny's always the naughty one, eh? <laughs> Sit down, open up to 2.41, and I do it at the same time as the students. The human reproductive system. <laughs> I can tell you I didn't need to ask them to be quiet. They were pretty quiet. I survived that next hour, but let me tell you, everything I put on the board, whether I meant it to, looked like a certain part of the male anatomy, and the year nine boys pointed that out. So we often get very scared when we talk about sex, and it's no different when we come to talking to our kids about sex. And largely it has to do with how we were raised. So I'm going to give you a minute, actually, now to have a think and chat to the person next to you. Most people when they think of how their parents talk to them about sex, can think it was either negative or positive or neutral. So have a quick think and think when your parents talk to you about sex, was it a, a good thing, a bad thing or kind of nothing? Okay, go. Quickly talk to the person next to you. Okay, I'm going to draw your attention back. I know that was a quick minute. But I can hear lots of nervous giggles. Okay. A show of hands. Who had parents who spoke to them about sex and it was good? No one? A few. Okay, so that was... I'll try it again. Can you do that again in case you didn't meet, hear me? Your parents spoke to you about sex as a good thing. Okay, as a bad thing? Oh, <laughs> what about nothing? Bit neutral, bit nowhere. Oh, okay, okay. Well, in the meantime, while you were chatting, our next speaker has made her way up onto stage and this is Margie Cohen. Can you give her a round of applause? Okay, so Margie, you, I noticed you put your hand up with the good experience of learning about sex from your parents. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I, I didn't learn anything from my father, but my mother, I, I think she was ahead of her time. She, uh, when I was about nine, she called me in to the lounge room because we're going to have a chat. Now, that happened at the same time as my best friend from up the road arriving, who was sent home and uh, she knew something big was happening. So we had our chat um, over an Encyclopedia Britannica spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> but in fact, it was very informative. 
And um, of course, as soon as the chat was over, I ran up the road to my friend who was waiting at the letterbox. Well, what, what did she tell you? <laughs> and it was shock. No, you're kidding. Is that how it happens? And, and, and within about two days, it had got around the whole neighbourhood. And... <laughs> Margie and Cohen is the one you see. Well, no, no, my oh, mother. No, actually, all the parents went up to my mother and they'd all dodged a bullet. They reckoned that my mother had, <laughs> had done it for them. So, yeah, it was not bad. It was not bad. Adrian, on the other hand, um, we married when he was in fifth year med school, so about to be a doctor. Um, the night before we got married, Adrian's um, mother sent his father in. <laughs> Um, son, you, you know what's going to happen tomorrow night? Um, you're all fixed up. And, and Adrian's reply, look, Dad, I'm about to be a doctor. I, I've worked that out already. <laughs> so, Margie, this, you know, this kind of grapevine of news, of news about what actually happens, did this happen on the coast? Did you grow up on the coast or is this somewhere else? Like maybe people here have your mother to thank for <laughs> their own first knowledge of what actually happened. Uh, no, I would have had to travel a long way. Um, no, I grew up in West Pennant Hills in Sydney. So um, at the edge of Sydney in those days, but yeah. not anymore. Right in the middle now, I think. Okay. And um, as you speak to us about teaching our own kids about sex, there's a few kind of areas of knowledge that you're drawing on your counsellor in a professional sense, but also you have raised children. Um, so tell us a bit about that. Okay. Yeah, well, I'm a mother of three grown-up children who've all got families of their own, so six little grandchildren. So that, that, that in some way qualifies me, but I don't think it makes me an expert at all, nor does counselling. Um, I don't know that anybody's an expert on this. Um, we, we learn by trial and error and experiment and by just uh, knowing that we actually have a responsibility to talk to kids about this. So I guess in my counselling world, I have um, spent a lot of time with um, anxious parents worried about what their kids are doing or not doing, not looking after, um, men who are addicted to pornography because of experiences they had way too young, um, marriages that are affected by um, sexual dysfunction because of being misinformed or not informed about what a huge and multifunctional tool sex is. So I guess um, it's from listening and talking to people over many years. Mm, well, we look forward to hearing what you have to say and the wisdom that you're going to bring to us. Make Margie feel welcome. Well, um, Amber told me I had 25 minutes to cover this topic. I, I, need a, I think I need about a week. It's such a big topic to do comprehensively, but I'm just going to um, run through about three or four points that I hopefully you'll remember something from it. I want to tell you about what your children will hear or receive or fill that big hole called sex if you don't fill it with something. I've just been to see a James Bond movie. I don't know if other people have seen Spectre, but um, it, it was pretty ordinary. And somebody's done the stats on him. He's apparently, in the last nine films, 
bedded 53 women. And I can imagine him coming for counselling. You know, Margie, um, I'm having trouble keeping a girl. And, and I'd probably say something like, well, tell me about what your mother told you about sex. And I think his answer would probably be pretty limited. I think he thinks it's a four-letter word. And I would say that um, the way the media presents sex is very much as the four-letter word. It's one-dimensional. Um, James Bond, we never see any unwanted pregnancies, we never see any terminations, we never see any STDs, certainly no psychological breakdown when he um, moves from one woman to another. And, and so we see nothing of the, the huge consequences that come with this very, very adult activity. We see just the pleasure side of it. And we'll see that in... in um, Serials, we'll see that in uh, crime fiction. You know, the police officer will be sleeping with one guy one week and the next week we'd never hear about him again. And that's the kind of message you're get, your kids are getting. Um, we've got terms like friends with benefits these days. I, I wasn't even sure what that was a few years ago. But, but you know, it's the whole notion of... Um, how sex has become separated in the media from relationship. Horrifying statistics like 82% of boys over 15 have viewed pornography and many are viewing it regularly and many are already at that addiction level. Girls are increasingly watching it. I was horrified by um, a, a article on sexting and I'm sure that all the younger people know what that is. That's the sending of very graphic um, sexual images by text to your latest love or the one that you're hoping to be your latest love. And the Sydney Morning Herald said um, that sexual health experts say that this practice is simply young people finding new ways to express sexual interest. It's their new way of flirting. So parents need not be concerned. Please, parents, be very concerned. This is a very concerning ratcheting up of the over-sexualisation of very, very young people. And they do not know what they're playing with. They're playing with fire. Um, girls don't realise that with this sexting that this becomes a, um, a tradable commodity, their, their images. They think that if it's Snapchat that those images are going to disappear immediately. No, no, there are apps or uh, you can take screenshots of them and they will be tradable if you have a, an unhappy breakup. So we're in a world where, um, where it's out of control. It's out of control. There, is no, there are no breaks or boundaries because technology is driving um, the whole notion of sex in a direction that nobody knows um, how to stop. It's, it is out of control. Um, I was reading... I thought I'd better get a little bit informed about what advice girls are getting. So I read Girlfriend. I don't know if anybody has caught up on that magazine or Dolly... And um, that targets 12 to 18-year-olds. And the advice uh, in one of the, you know, um, dear doctor questions was, um, 
to a, a, a under 16 year old, don't let him force you to go all the way. It must depend on your consent, otherwise it may be breaking the law. Note the very um, tolerant language. Perhaps leave it a few more dates before you do it. Now, there is an assumption that, that once you are at the age of consent, there is an assumption that you will be having sex with your boyfriend even, um, even though that is not true. There is just an assumption in, in the community and otherwise you'll be seen as somehow frigid or, or cold and the pressure on kids to do something they're actually nowhere near ready for is just huge. I just wanted to talk about a little bit about pornography before, and I'm, I'm watching the time, Amber, here we go, um, before we talk about, okay, how do we actually talk to kids about this? Um, the, the, the statistics are huge for kids watching pornography. It is tied up with the accessibility, the availability, the accidental nature of discovering pornography, and it's on the devices, and devices that you can't even check up on, mobile phones. And we know that, that um, the, the lovely hormones and chemicals that are released when people are getting sexually excited, which is what pornography does, it, it's the offer, um, is the, the dopamines and the um, oxytocin release and all those feel-good drugs, they offer... A, a, it's a false promise of fulfilment. And these young boys are getting addicted to it. It's like a drug. And if I keep experiencing that, it becomes a, um, something that I get hooked right into and I can't break. And the trouble is, it's such a disappointment for them because that same oxytocin, which is the cuddle hormone, which is designed for two people to experience when they're in a sexual relationship. It's the one that really does all the bonding, the connectiveness between, for a couple. That is happening for young boys and when they've masturbated after seeing these things, these images, there's no one to cuddle. There's just this emptiness and there's a lot of depression amongst young guys who are getting addicted to this stuff. So we need to be very concerned about it. It is a growing problem. I'm seeing it more and more in the counselling room. Um, we, and, and that's apart from other aspects of pornography, you know, the degrading of women. We don't like it either. We feel offended by it because it is so um, debasing for us. Um, it, it promotes that whole notion of um, body image. Uh, I, I don't know which doctors are responsible for performing labioplasties on young girls, but I didn't even know what somebody else's labia looked like when I was growing up, and I still don't because I'm not in that field. But the availability of information online is making girls really nervous about what they look like, breast enhancements, um, various plastic surgical procedures that are on offer for girls to somehow look a certain way that they perceive um, is the okay way to look. So the anxiety that this media is bringing in at a sexual level 
is huge and it's really stuffing around with what God's intended. So what is his thinking about sex? Am I still on? Yep. Um, I think he wants it to be absolutely enjoyable. Why has he made it enjoyable? Well, I'm guessing it's a bit like food. If we didn't love eating food, and, and I do know a lady who had a brain tumour which stopped her having the sense of taste, and she kept forgetting to eat. So the pleasure of eating makes us eat. It makes us do that daily function. Well, I, I'm sure God in his wisdom said, I've got to make sex fun, otherwise this population will just die out. No one would do it. Um, but so it's, he makes it a lot of fun. But it is a multifunctional tool. It is not just about the pleasure. And so I think we need to understand a little bit about our children and developmentally what's happening to them before we just talk about, um, okay, how do we actually talk to these kids about this stuff? Well, we know that between um, uh, about 12 and 18, there is a lot happening. They're... Um, they are changing a huge amount. Their neural pathways are becoming really complex. Um, the roadways have been multiplied applied and, and expanded, and that's happening in their limbic system, which is the system um, which is responsible for all their feelings of um, needing to belong, um, feeling needing to be loved, needing to take risks. It's all the emotional stuff. Um, so that's happening at a rate of knots and it's happening right before your eyes. You know, at around 12, 13, 14, 15, your kid is changing. And, and the trouble is that the frontal lobe, which is where all the thinking happens and wise decisions and strategizing and all of the, that sort of process, that doesn't really mature until a, a young person is around 25. So we know that our job as parents is to still do some of that decision-making for our kids because while they're, they're going berserk in terms of hormones and feelings, um, the brakes are not necessarily in place yet. So we have a big responsibility to still be involved in our kids. At, at the same time as this development of the... Um, these new, new neural pathways and the complexity of them, there's a pruning process occurring as well. And that is where what is used over and over and over again is what becomes the pattern for that child. Now, if that young person at 15 or 16 is getting into pornography, that becomes um, a problem that is going to be very hard to get out of. It, it's, a, it's a pathway that will occur between their desires and their limbic system and it bypasses the thinking part and they begin to associate all sex with pornography and it means they're going to have very, very unsatisfactory um, adult relationships because they'll not be getting enough, it'll never satisfy and they've already overridden that message about sex and those feel-good cuddle hormones are about connection. They've already overridden that with a new thought that um, there will be nobody there for me. And so the ability to trust 
just becomes um, more and more diminished the more this gets involved, this um, process occurs. So we, we know it's really important that we give our kids um, a whole lot of extra things to do as children. Um, so they have many forms of feel-good activities, not just leaving them in front of a screen or those video games where they are more likely to get hooked onto the quick, easy, get, feel-good um, feelings, which is what pornography offers. And this is for our girls too. It's not just our boys. So it's, it's concerning. We live in concerning times. So how do we actually talk to our kids about this stuff? It's actually really important that if we don't... Be, uh, uh, if we're not able to start this conversation, we are going to have problems. You know, if, if you get into a lift and you don't start a conversation straight away with the person in the lift, are you going to start it at the end of the, the lift ride? You don't, do you? If you start at the beginning, you'll probably chat the whole way. Um, and it's a bit like that with children. We have to start really early with our kids um, talking about um, those private kind of matters. Um, one of the things that Adrian stresses of often when he's talking to me about funny occasions in his, um, in his waiting... In, in, not in his waiting room, in his consulting room, is the very lack of... Um, very prominent lack of language that people have around, around private parts. And so that's number one. Okay, with your little ones, use real names like penis, vagina, breast, um, anus. Use those real names because that actually will equip your children to be able to accurately identify if something's not right. They'll be able to use the proper words. Um, we know that um, a lot of... You, you've all asked yourself the question, did I grow up in a sex-positive family, a sex-negative family or a sex-neutral family? By the buzz in the room, you knew instantly, didn't you? You just know this. Now, that is not necessarily from what is said. It's not caught by words. Um, whether a household is sex-positive, sex-negative or sex-neutral um, is caught by by watching, observing. So one of the things I think actually is really, really important for you as, um, as parents is to attend to your own sexual life. Make sure that is going well. Make sure that your children are sensing that something special happens between the two of you that happens with nobody else. You know, couples that, um, especially after children, uh, um, their sex drive, it's not sex drive, but their sexual activity drops off. Uh, and if they go a long time without having sex, um, they become, it happens very quickly, you become almost flatmates, not lovers. And your children pick that up. Um, generosity comes with really good connection. Um, that eye contact, the, the wink or the cuddle or the kiss... 
um, that they need to be seeing. And that's where a lot of the attitudes about sex are caught. So attend to that. That's a really important thing. And if you're having issues, get some help now. Do that as much for yourself as for your children. Um, I think you need to um, have a really good relationship with your children because I think if you've been screaming at your 14-year-old, it's very hard to then sit down and say, OK, now let's talk about sex. It's not going to work, OK? I think you've got to actually choose the right time to talk about it. Think about the times that are the most appropriate because there's going to be a relevance at talking about it. Um, obviously, when periods are coming, that will be a very important time to sit and have a chat with your um, girls. An important time to talk to your boys about it too. Let them know what's happening to their sister. And you need to do that in a very adult way. We're talking about adult stuff. Now, that's different from um, lecturing your kids. When we're talking about sex, the tone has to change completely. It is adult, adult. And you will get a very adult response if you can keep that adult um, tone in your voice. Um, be informative. Don't be judgmental. Okay, another really good time to talk to your kids about sex um, is when they start dating. Not the first few dates. Don't jump in there. <laughs> and, uh, and certainly don't be inquisitorial. There's nothing that will shut a kid down more than you um, checking everything they're doing. So don't do that. But be curious. Be interested. Um, tell them maybe a little bit about your first experiences. And this was one great thing my mum did um, was she actually let me know um, when she... I think she was the only one who knew that Adrian and I were actually going out <laughs> for a long time. Very astute lady. Um, she actually told me that, you know, girls can get really turned on too. It's not just boys. And there may be a time where you get to a place where you can't stop. You need to stop before then. And she, she, she actually talked real stuff to me. And it was incredibly helpful she also gave me some guidelines. So do give your kids guidelines. Now, my mother said, dear, nothing below the waist. That was her words. I remember her saying them. Now, that left me a lot of erogenous zones, I've got to tell you, and, and probably too many. Um, but uh, uh, other people would say something like, well, um, nothing that underwear covers or... And afterwards, you might share with each other what your parents have said to you. But judging from the hands up, not a lot was said. It's horrifying. You know, that actually held me in good stead. It was good to have my mother's voice. And my mother was a really, I think, ahead of her time. She was a really solid, um, non-judgmental person. But her voice in my head with that guideline was incredibly helpful. So don't be afraid of giving your kids guidelines. I, I've searched out several books to recommend to you to read. None of them have those kind of value statements. They have all the facts, but not the value statements. And that's your job as parents. You know, give your kid 
a heads up on what is actually really, really helpful for them. Okay, I'll just talk a little bit about books and then we'll... How are we going? Oh, good, okay. Now, look, this is probably one of the best books I've seen on sex. It's, it's a, a great read for a teenager, um, a really great read for uh, uh, mums and dads as well. It explains all the neurobiology of sex so that when your kids are thinking about dating thinking about how far to go, um, they, it explains why, we, why it's playing with fire. It's because, you know, of the bonding that happens. And um, if you keep... If you have several sexual partners and you're doing a lot of bonding and then breaking the bond, bonding and breaking the bond, that it, what happens is that the stickability, your ability to... Um, stick with a partner diminishes. And so the, this book explains beautifully the reasons why we say, look, save your best for marriage. Save your best for the one you are going to spend your life with. So it's a really great book. Um, for younger years, this is a great little book, Where Did I Come From? Um, and you'll get this from Dimmicks or um, any bookshop. Um, but it's a great little book. We used to just leave it on our bedside table and every time the topic came up, we would either remind the kids it was there or often this book used to just disappear in our house and then appear again a few weeks ago uh, later. But it, it is really factual and it, while it's really great for really little people, I think this is probably... Um, yeah, sort of primary school. I noticed my high school boys used to borrow it. So um, it, it, it is just a helpful book to um, enlarge on what you might have already said or what they're probably hearing at school. Now, they are going to get their biology lessons at school. They won't get any of your values or your gui the guidelines that actually it's your job to put in place. Um, the second book, What's Happening to Me, is a great book to have around too for puberty. Um, that's a great little series. Um, this book here is I picked up from Interrelate. Now, it is actually recommended by Patricia Wirakun, who's written that first book. Um, it, it is uh, 500 questions kids have about sexuality. Every question you could think of has been answered there. But again, factual, but not value-laden, and, and it, values come from us. They come from us. Look, I remember when um, we just... We were very involved in youth group many years ago, and we'd just taken Matt, my eldest son's youth group, up to um, the Blue Mountains and done a fabulous day of canyoning, and he was on an absolute high when we came home, um, but there was a party he wanted to go to. So he, we get him to the party... And he rings about two hours later, can you come and get me? This is awful. And, and what had happened was one of his schoolmates, um, a girl he cared for very much, had lost her virginity that night. Um, a lot of kids were drunk. The boy just dumped her and went and crowed around the party about what his, his conquest. And this was another opportunity to talk to Matt, and to all of our kids who are listening with wide eyes, um, about 
about how terrible this was for this kid. Now, I think one of the things you do have to remember when talking to teenagers, you cannot be judgmental of the kid. You can be judgmental about the behaviour, but you mustn't be judgmental of the kid because your kids will just shut down, particularly if they care about that person. So we're looking for, we're looking for um, ways or, or moments. We've got to be quite opportunistic to find moments to actually keep reinforcing um, the kind of value talk that we want to do. I think um, one of the things that you have to remember too is that if you have laid down some really good foundations of how valuable your young people are to you and that they know how much they are loved and you have taught them about marriage and saving the best for marriage and that's come up in conversation over the years, um, they, will, they will start to be able to um, be their own parent, their own adult. Now, I'm going to tell a story about Sammy, who's here. So this one does not about, about sex. It was about when she was at university and possibly going to too many Barbie grogs. And just the name tells you what was happening there um, with her vet school. She, we, we used to meet regularly for um, breakfast and she said, Mum, one breakfast, um, Mum, I think you should worry about me a bit more. <laughs> and, and, you know, I thought... I mean, we, we did talk about what, what I should be worried about and what she knew she should be doing about. Um, but I thought... I, I really um, admired her. I thought, you have already worked out um, that, that questioning voice. You're listening to it. Um, and it's not me telling you what to do. Um, it is you actually working out for yourself what is appropriate behaviour because it's your life. And this is the trouble. We have to actually let our children go. They, when they're our little kids and we're captain of their lives, I saw Lynn here somewhere, she'll remember all the other Cs, um, captain when they're very little, then we become their coach, then we become their counsellor. And, and the last stage when they've left home, we are only their consultant. Um, but it's really great when you hear your kids doing that transition really nicely and become captain of their own selves. And, you know, when they're at that age of sexual experimentation, um, they've got to be captains of themselves because um, you cannot be there with them. Okay, they, they do not want you on dates, they do not want you on group activities watching, okay? So you have to start trusting them. Now, if you've laid down the foundation work, that trust will bring back a lot of reward. But with some kids, some kids will be testing out the boundaries you may have laid down. And, and this happens in most families somewhere. That, um, that boundaries are tested. And I did want to just spend a quick word just talking about, um, okay, what happens if kids have gone too far? And I know it was something that Amber was going to ask. Um, you know, I, and, and I get a lot of kids coming in or their mums coming in when they've gone too far and they're really disappointed with themselves. You know, I think we've got to, again, non-judgmental, 
We've got to talk to kids about the consequences. I mean, all the obvious things like pregnancies, um, um, STDs, uh, emotional trauma when kids break up and they've been having a very sexual relationship with their boyfriends. Um, you know, we need to be really... Because it's such an adult activity, we have to be working very, very carefully with them not to be the critical parent. Be the adult with them and help them work out the way forward. And as a counsellor, um, kids often come in to talk about this kind of stuff. And we talk about resetting. You know, starting again from now on how you want life to be. And that's the amazing thing about God's grace, isn't it? He, he doesn't hold our past against us. He frees us from it. But nor does he take the consequences from us. And, you know, we need to, our kids to understand consequences. If they're involved in very adult activity, there are very adult consequences for that that no parent can protect their kids from. So um, I think that's all about all I've got to say at the moment. Um, I, I guess I want to leave you with a question. What do your kid? what do you hope your kids, when they're sitting in maybe a 2026 Summerfest tent, what do you want them to be reflecting about what they experience from you in terms of sex? Thank you, Margie. That's very informative and helpful. I know um, my friends and I were the reason that where Did I Come From book disappeared from the library a few times in primary school. L Margie's mentioned a lot of books. Uh, one of them is actually for sale at the bookshop. There's a few copies, which is that Teen Sex by the Book. So if you're interested, you can go and have a look at that. Uh, also, that author is actually coming to speak in August at EV with a talk that's titled Sex Education for the Cyber Generation. So if you're interested in finding out a bit more about that or being notified of it, you can put your email address on those response slips and we'll get back to you. As a parent, it's been really helpful to hear some tips about just being open and honest. And we have a chance now to for questions from the floor. So if you have a question, raise your hand. We realise this is a very sensitive topic, um, one for whom... It may be a, a painful one for you. So we realise you may have a question and you don't feel comfortable bringing it up in this forum and that's totally understandable. So if that's you, can you please write your question down on that re response slip and uh, confidentially Margie will get back to you um, with a response. Do we have any questions from the floor for Margie about this topic? I think we've got one over here. Hi, Margie. Um, I have a 15-year-old boy who I have to literally tie down and sit on to have any kind of conversation about sex. Having teen boys, do you have any tips on, on doing that with teen boys? I was talking to somebody yesterday who's suddenly realising the value of having 150 hours of drive time <laughs> in order to learn how to drive. But how well can you drive when you're also hearing Talking about, about sex? Talking about sex, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you've got to be a bit opportunistic. And, and, you know, sometimes it's better for boys, for dad to talk. 
and girls for mum to talk. It can be a bit awkward across, across the sexes, so get dad to take responsibility for that one. <laughs> Great question. I think that, oh, we have, do have another one? Oh, we've got a few more. Hi. Um, as a new grandma, and he's too young now, but what's appropriate in coming times for grandparents to talk about with their grandkids as relating to what the parents should? So you're talking about talking to the, your, your parent children or your grandchildren? No, the grandchildren. Yeah. I, I don't think it's grandparents' responsibility and, unless parents aren't doing it and have asked you to do it. Uh, I, I think it belongs to parents. On the other hand, I think you can be using all those correct terms with your kids. If your kids ask you questions, answer them. Do not avoid answering them, but tell the parents later what you've said. So, um, yeah, and no, I think responsibility has to be with parents, otherwise you can fall off the perch a bit there. <laughs> now, we do have a few more questions. Keep your hand up if you, if you can, like even if it's like that, so we know that you have a question. We've got one here. Hi. Just wondering where, um, where might be a starting point with small children, how you can start talking about it before... Yeah. Teenage years and that yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I think um, naught to two, you're using proper terms. Um, probably three to four, um, you're talking about um, how mummy has a uterus and babies form in there, and they're not going to ask the question, how did the baby get in there? Um, but they probably will ask about seven, eight, nine, and I think you've got to actually say that daddy puts his penis inside mummy. I remember the word my mother used, the penis is inserted into the vagina. <laughs> I actually remember it. <laughs> and that was too much information for me, I think, at that time. But, but you know, be factual about it. And this book um, has got the cutest little drawing of intercourse there that might be helpful to show them. And then, obviously, those other years that, you know, after eight... Um, that um, you start talking about how their body is changing and that they too are going to become sexual beings. And, um, and then obviously 12 to 18, we're trying to get in the relationship stuff. Okay, great. Another one over here. Hi, Moggy. Um, this may be a difficult question to answer. Sorry, here Oh, there you are. Sorry. <laughs> you spoke earlier about... Um, an expectation at a certain age amongst peer groups. Mm. Can you, are you able to give some advice and some comment on protecting our kids against that peer pressure? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I think it's, it's part of a life, uh, you know, the child's lifelong process the, that we are wanting to strengthen up their ability to say no to think for themselves. And I think if a child comes home with you with that kind of um, pressure uh, and talking about that pressure, you're, you're a long way in to be able to offer some um, helpful comments there. I think the important thing is not to panic, um, say, uh, but to really um, listen a lot and say, what's it like for you being pressured like this? You know, if you were brave enough 
what would you want to say to this other kid that's pressuring you or that expectation? And be really trying to grow up that adult voice in that child because um, this is what it's all about. It's that child has to make decisions around really grown-up stuff and you're not there. And I think it's a really, really hard, uh, a hard one. But I think um, a as kids grow up, we've got to be talking less as a parent and more as an adult to them and really saying, re really bringing out that adult response. Um, I, I think it's a tricky one. And, um, you know, I, I cannot stress more highly too that if you think your kids are um, engaging in sexual activity, get them to your local GP, please. Um, you know, going to a GP and getting them on the pill is far preferable to um, an unmodern pregnancy or a termination. Um, that GP will talk to them about STDs and will have that very grown-up conversation that maybe you can't have. If you can have it, have it. If you can't and you think they've been pressured into more than they think they want to, um, yeah, have a good GP that you feel you could take that kid to. The GPs will have that conversation without you in the room and that's probably a good thing for kids to know. Um, but that they'll, they'll let them know how adult it is and how adult the consequences are. So I, I know it's not a, probably a comprehensive answer, but um, if you're really worried, go and talk to a, a counsellor or somebody about it and unpack your particular situation because I think you can get some fairly accurate ideas and um, strategies in place. But a really great question. I think there's so much pressure out there that's outside of our domain. It's scary. Yeah, thank you for that. Okay, we've got time uh, for hi, one Maggie. more question. I'm up the back. Um, up the back. I just want to ask for some steps to safeguard our kids from pornography. And if we notice that they are, what we can do to help them get the help I guess they need so it doesn't become a major problem. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a huge problem. Uh, look, I think mobile phones is where it's all happening um, or they're little devices that we can't see. Uh, so I think you've got to, from the very beginning, and for many that's, you're over that time now, um, you've got to have the right to um, control use of mobile phones. I reckon a a mobile phone for the family for those early years just to be used for, you know, excursions or something like that. But I know that kids then get a job and earn their own money and buy their own mobile phones and then you've, you've actually lost them. I, I think um, that you need to talk to them about how very dangerous and addictive pornography is and how very bad it is for you developmentally. You know, if this is what you're spending your time doing, this is setting up a really bad pathway inside your head that is going to hurt your adult relationships. If you can get that message or um, dad to do that, talk with them um, and uh, this is really important. Just one other thing I wanted to talk about, well, two quick things, I'll be really quick. Um, incest is on the rise. And, I, I, you know, it's, it's sickening. I hear about it from 10, 20, 30 years ago. People come in with a secret that they're at last telling. But I think it's happening more now because of access to pornography. 
boys who are getting really turned on and don't know what to do with all of that um, are sometimes practicing on their little siblings. So just be aware of that, and I'm not wanting to scaremonger, but it's something that's coming into my room more and more, um, so, and it just shatters families. So don't take anything for granted. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say quickly was, um, let's encourage our youth leaders to maybe do some father-son nights, mother-daughter nights, to, to get the conversation going, to help you as parents get it going. Okay. Thank you, Mug. It's been so helpful. Can I encourage you, as we have a break coming up, to take this response, that write those questions perhaps you, we didn't get to or that you may not feel comfortable asking. She's going to creep off. Let's make her... Let's thank Margie as she creeps off the stage. <laughs>